0: It's turning Turning point? point? I city? think so. because Because I, I think we're at a genuine, you know, and literal and figurative fork in the road. I'm 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier. My thanks to Greg Macklin for the title of this podcast. And throughout the next month, we'll focus in on those key issues of the 2022 campaign for Winnipeg's mayor and city council. Before we look forward to those issues and talk to the main candidates, we'll talk to all the candidates, but we'll spend some time a lot more time with those main candidates. On turning point, Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman on his eight years in office and the unfinished business the next mayor and city council will need to pick up.
1: Hate division. It sucks the life right out of you. It sucks the energy out of you. My vision for Winnipeg is a city of one million strong. We'll do this by focusing on three objectives: getting City Hall working again,
0: working and the to world have of, a of growing, the Rob Ford and the more Sam Cates. And, and other political scandals, they see this and they go, politics,
1: blah, politics, corrupt. Yeah, and I've had a lot of friends coming up to me saying, do you really want to get into this? Is this
0: the December before like, he, like, he was elected, was back in 2013, like I spoke with privacy lawyer like Brian Bowman. About the context of the time. Remember, this was when in Toronto, that city was rocked by Rob Ford scandals and similar stories of corruption percolated at Winnipeg City Hall.
1: This, quite frankly, if people, you know, if I throw my name in the hat and people are looking for somebody who genuinely is there to make a difference, then I hope they consider me.
0: Bowman was not leading in the campaign in 2014 until those last couple of weeks. And that's when this new generation of leader surged ahead.
1: I remain grateful that Winnipegers took a chance on a green uh, politician, someone who had never served in, in elected office before. Uh, that election night was, uh, was quite a night we'll never forget. Uh, it was the first time our kids ever heard their mom drop an F-bomb when, she, when they declared that I would win. She, she, she did, uh, she kind of goes, kind of said, I can't believe, you know, you're gonna be the mayor. And it, it was exciting. You and the kids grew up in this office, though. Yeah. Your children grew up. They
0: were young, and now they're teenagers. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's something to be said about trying to keep... You, you know, your children are out there, but you're also trying to keep them in that bubble because, yeah. uh, you know, every once in a while, they'll go to school and they'll hear stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's important that they also know. And I think on most nights, you were home for dinner yeah. or when you could be. Yeah. And that's very important. And I think that represents... I think a new generation of the workforce. And you try yeah. to kind of have that work-life balance as much as possible because this can be easily a 16 to an 18-hour day.
1: Yeah. I mean, we we made the decision as a family. My kids were three and six when I started campaigning. Um, but the decision to run for re-election was a family decision. And if any one member of our family said no, I wouldn't have run again. And and I made that clear to them. They ultimately had that uh, had that, that power to, to do so. But, yeah, I mean, we, we tried... Tracy and I set out that we wanted our relationship to be stronger coming out of office, and it is. Um, you know, and our boys, yeah, they, they grew up here in the, you know, at City Hall. You know, when I, when I first came... The story I, I've told recently is the day that I registered as a candidate, uh, our boys were three and six at the time. Uh, they wanted to dress up in a sports coat just like their dad My youngest son, Austin, was in pull-up diapers at the time and insisted on wearing big boy underwear. (laughs) I was horrified that he was going to have an accident. So we get out of the van. There's a throng of media. Tracy looks over at me in in Austin's direction and says, "Did, did our boy have an accident yet? And I said, no, he's good. She said, I'm talking about you. And I don't think I did, but I was, like, I mean, my knees were were shaking and my hands were shaking because being in front of the media in that form was new for for me and new for our family. And, um, you know, so, yeah, they've, uh, you know, it's been a a great experience for our family, though. I mean, the generosity of Winnipeggers has been, is something that you experience when you're out in public as well, I know. And I see people around you. Um, Yes, there's threats. Yes, there's trolling. uh, There's the political attacks, the media scrutiny. But we knew what we were signing up for. And overall, it's been a great experience for our family.
0: Well, and you were the first mayor and probably the most visible politician in this province that used social media to your advantage. And sometimes it left you open to criticism. But you know what? I still maintain this. And, you know, I said it jokingly at the time. But when we had the Canada Summer Games here, Mm -hmm. you provided the best coverage because it was all on
1: Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm the first, definitely the first uh, of a few things. One is the first social media mirror. And it's one of, it's it's a tool that's available. And so why wouldn't you use it to engage as much as people would, I mean, firstly, if people didn't like it, they didn't have to follow. So I always laugh when people would get upset. I'm like, just unfollow me. I'm not going to get offended. Um, but also it's a great listening tool. I mean, um, behind you is a monitor of all of the feeds so I can listen in time. But the other thing is I've tried to be uh, open and accessible in the community. I, you know, I've gone to a lot of uh, engagements over the years. It's, there's many different ways to, to get outside of the bubble at City Hall because there is a bubble here, especially during the pandemic when we didn't have that ability to be with people in the flesh uh, social media was one available tool to to get your pulse on, on how people were feeling. And you picked up the anger and the frustration and concern that people had in the community in social, on social media.
0: With Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman, the exit interview on 680 CJOB.
1: It doesn't have to be factual. It doesn't have to be truthful. It is what it is. And uh, I've certainly learned that about politics. You can just about say anything. And... Uh, the realities are the media has the right to report on it.
0: Remember him?
1: It, Sam Cates, former mayor. He left it with stench of scandal not, you
0: know, and a mandate for Bowman to clean it up.
1: That was, I mean, that was one of the main marching orders I got from Winnipegers was to clean up the mess at City Hall. Uh, does it mean after eight years all the work is done? Absolutely not. Of course, the work needs to continue. Um, but. I hope I've restored trust and confidence in municipal government, certainly in the mayor's office. Uh, When we came in here, it was, I mean, it was a mess. I mean, and it was rocked by scandal. We're still seeing the legal actions that we've initiated continue. One of the criticisms
0: of his eight years, especially those first few years, was his office, his isolation from key players in our economy developers business leaders people who spend big money in our city and our province who drive our economy it was easier to get a meeting with the premier than the mayor bowman without doubt alienated many during that time and today still no apologies
1: it was a very conscious decision uh, there were very there were there were definitely powerful interests in the community who had a vested interest in things staying the way they they were. And they have and continue to push back on that. And that, I, I don't begrudge anybody. I mean, if you're benefiting from the status quo, you don't want it to change. And so you're going to attack the messenger of change, and, and that's fine. Um, or attack the way in which you're affecting the change. But I've always been, there was a reason why I didn't accept endorsements from unions, from business groups, is... I didn't want to be questioning who, you know, I didn't want anybody to question where my loyalty was. And the, my loyalty remains to this day to Winnipeggers themselves. And so I've tried to honor that every day that I come in here.
0: The whole idea then of impact fees, of kind of that new way of taxation, and then the litigation that, that followed, you know, here was you're trying to really change the way things are done. And then you've got people saying, no, this is the way things are done and that
1: is a constant battle yeah people exercise their legal rights to challenge the way in which we brought in the impact fee and and there were wins that both parties actually obtained i mean the bylaw that was introduced was struck down uh so the way in which now now we have the benefit of the other part of the decision that said here's how you can do it and had we known that at the time the bylaw would have been structured but i wish previous mayors had done the groundwork to to provide that clarity but There had been talk and talk and talk about this for years when every neighboring municipality and every major city that I'm aware of has an impact fee. So the question is, why are we unique? Why should existing property owners be footing the bill for growth? And so that remains an outstanding issue that I hope will be resolved. Um, Obviously, there there were some within the real estate industry who had a vested interest in it not changing. And I respect that. I mean, they're going to they're gonna exercise their rights. They're going to push back in a way that they felt was appropriate for, for the people that they served. Um, and I don't begrudge them for doing so. But I also had a job to do on behalf of Winnipeggers and Winnipeg existing homeowners.
0: This is still a city that's growing. Yep. It's growing out, but you're starting to see a lot more infill. Yep. So when you look at where you started eight years ago and where you are now, there is an infill strategy. Mm-hmm. You'd like to have more neighbourhood plans. We're not there yeah. yet. It's yeah. still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. But it's still a st- city that's, that's growing out but also growing in. Yeah. Um, so there are still issues related to that. Yeah. But you look at the number of people and businesses and homeowners now compared to
1: eight years ago. Yep. This city has grown something incredible. By about 70,000 residents uh, since I've been elected. And I was voted in with a clear vision to grow Winnipeg and, and build the infrastructure needed to support a growing city. And so, you know, tri level funding, we, we were able to achieve about $2.5 billion of tri level funding for the North End sewage treatment plant, a billion dollars for roads, uh, trans, you know, public transportation, active transportation. Uh, These were really important to support a growing city. But you're right. I I mean, we see from other cities that there is kind of a growth rate that becomes exponential. As you get closer to a million, it ramps up. And if you haven't done the groundwork like we've been doing in the last eight years, you're not going to be ready to grow. Future campaigns are not going to be so much about potholes. They're going to be about gridlock. That's why it was important to look forward to, you know, to, okay, what does a city of a million people look like? Well, you better have a public transportation system that can move people efficiently, because if you have a million people and and they're mainly relying on portage, main, henderson, grant avenue, uh, it's going to be a very slow <laughs> commute, and it's not going to be sustainable for to helping combat climate change.
0: Transit is still a work in progress, but there is a template for expansion. And slowly, we are seeing development, density, apartments, condominiums adjacent to the transit quarter from downtown to the university. Now, there's still outstanding litigation between the City of Winnipeg and developer Andrew Marquez about a development in Fort Garry. Do you feel, though, that you've been blackballed by the City of Winnipeg? Absolutely. There's not a a doubt in my mind. But you're not going away? Nor would any other developer go away on a project of this size scale. uh, No. Bowman's strict policy certainly permeated through the senior civil service. And Marquez and other Winnipeg builders argue the next mayor and council must find that balance to encourage development.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. Just delighted to be here. Thank you, uh, Mayor Bowman, for having me here Mayors need premiers probably more today.
0: than premiers uh, just, uh, just need mayors, generally. You. But in Manitoba, if both levels of government are working on the same goals, it usually means spending your tax dollars in the city of Winnipeg for
1: expansion of infrastructure. In the way he conducted himself is a matter of public record, and it wasn't unique to me. It was the same with Indigenous governments, with the Prime Minister. Despite all that, though, we were able to achieve tri-level funding to the tune of nearly 2.5 billion dollars much of that during his watch and so not easy um but that's where you get your elbows up to actually deliver for the people that you work for but i guess my point is you could have done a whole lot more and i think you wanted to do a whole lot more i been, it, i i think the the main point would have been things could have moved quicker so, I mean, because I mean, keep in mind, North End Sewage Treatment Plant funding was stalled on the Premier's office. I mean, it, it, that, that was stalled. And Premier Stephenson moved it along. And she committed to doing so, and she made good on that. The transit funding, $548 million in funding. Again, she moved that file. And so when we met, I, I invited her to, to City Hall. I said, I think the symbolism will be important. It'll demonstrate that we actually can work together. And we do. I mean, I've known her since I was a teenager. Uh, we have a good personal rapport uh, now Brian Pallister, when I would meet with him the meetings were actually very good the problem was they didn't happen very frequently and and so that didn't help and it meant files stalled on his desk but you know what the, the change has been positive and and you're right the more you can have i I, I don't there aren't a lot of mayors and premiers who were always lockstep um, it could be just the the virtue of the politics in this province but I certainly um, made efforts and will keep making efforts while I'm here to, to work collaboratively. Brian Bowman is our guest, turning point on 680 CJOB. You had to say some
0: pretty tough things about this city in the national press. And people didn't like it. And I'm talking about a McClain's magazine interview that basically labeled us as racist. And you took that one and you said, you know what, we've spent enough times denying this. We need to turn the page and do something about
1: it. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was one of your moments. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty emotional day. I mean, reading that headline was, made my blood boil, actually, because um, I was like, how dare a national publication from Toronto, of all places, criticize Winnipeg? But when I, when I read the article, there was a lot of painful stories in that uh, article that you, you just simply couldn't, in good conscience, ignore um, you're right. I faced criticism, including you know some some commentators on CJB even said that I'd sold Winnipeg out, and you know if if uh, if that's the critique that that some would have, and, and people would are, are free to have their opinions on that. I just thought it was important to 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 be honest with the community and the country about the challenges we face, so we could be more effective at combating them. And since that time, you know, Macleans wrote an article a year later that. Uh, they said Winnipeg had quickly emerged as a leader in reconciliation. And I'm really proud of the work that, um, that I've been able to lead on. Our community has been doing a lot of amazing work. Um, you know, and things like the Indigenous Accord, the welcoming Winnipeg Initiative, um, our Human Rights Committee Council, the, the the former Capion Barracks, being able to support the largest urban reserve creation in Canadian history, Noe Odena. Um, that's through the collaborative leadership efforts with indigenous governments. And so I'm really proud of the work that we've done in the reconciliation space. That work continues and will need to be supported by the next mayor and council.
0: Yeah, and not just mayor and council, provincial, federal governments, and a community. We're now at that watershed moment where um, we're starting to get it. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are paying attention that at the beginning of your administration were the ones that would call into CJOB and my colleagues some of them former colleagues who were critical of you at the time and i and i do believe that this city still has to deal with a history and has to continue the effort towards reconciliation and mayor i still think we're at that listening stage we're 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 starting to move on policy but we're still listening and that's the toughest
1: thing sometimes as talk show host (laughs) <laughs> as mayor yeah. to listen. You can't hear when you're talking. And so, um, you know, the, my Indigenous advisory circle and the elders and knowledge keepers that um, give me advice. We had our last meeting yesterday and uh, it was pretty emotional because I still have a lot to learn from them. I'm still, I'm still learning. Uh, I'm learning a lot about my own background with each and every day that I have. I'm learning more about the, the legacy of residential schools that we're living with here right now in our community and, um, you know, I think that one of the watershed moments for Canada was the discovery of the unmarked graves. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a greater acceptance in Canada that this is, in fact, the genocide we're talking about. I don't think many Canadians felt that it was a genocide until that happened. But when, you, when, you, when you're faced with the reality, the horrific, painful reality of unmarked graves, uh, to, to not acknowledge that and then it compels you just as a human being to okay what are you going to do about it that's why the Indigenous Accord is one path for action in the community Um, but yeah I mean we've got the largest Indigenous community of any major city in Canada this matters to Canada it matters to Winnipeg and I, I, out of all of the things that I've been able to affect, I'm really proud of the work that we've done on reconciliation and human rights. It, it, it really matters to me on a personal level. And I know it matters to Winnipegers. And, and this is a collective effort as a community. Like uh, this is any success that you have as a politician, it's, it's a shared success with your staff, your colleagues and the community.
0: And, and part of that is still the work in progress. Yeah. As far as political representation,
1: and the civil service that is reflective of that reality. Yeah, I mean, our hiring is roughly equitable with the number of indigenous peoples that that identify as indigenous, but our retention isn't where it needs to be. And I think that's reflective of systemic racism that exists within the workplace, in our municipal government, but also in broader community. And it's an issue that all organizations are faced with. I think the first step is acknowledging systemic racism. The second then is once you've acknowledged, okay, what are you gonna do about it? Um, And that's where we need everybody to help. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous. You can still play a positive role. And so many people have been doing that. It's been inspiring to to see. And the conversations, I mean, the conversations you're having, you're right, they've evolved and they've really changed over the years. Um, And I think we're all on the same journey together. So we all have a role to play.
0: One of the underreported stories of the last several years may have the most impact if the next mayor can get buy-in
1: On the Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative. This stemmed from me being invited by Michael Bloomberg to be part of the Bloomberg Harvard Civic Leadership Initiative. So 40 mayors around the world get invited to be part of a leadership development program. Part of that program allows the mayors who are graduates of the program to apply for funding that is made available. And and I I applied and we were successful to uh, try something that's different. And, and then what they want to see is they want to see if they can scale it up for other cities. And so the idea was, can we do a better job at how we respond to calls for service that, that come into 911? Um, right now, more than half of the 911 calls to service for police have to do with, you know, families in crisis. Things that are arguably are non core policing. I want to see, you know, we're providing historic funding to the police service but we're not getting the results that we all wanna see. And then the police would share that. They're, they're dealing with issues. They're the, they're the safety net for society when all other systems have failed people. And so what Bloomberg Harvard is is doing, and we've started to do the work here with ARC program and, and, and even the Downtown Community Safety Partnership is, is part of that overarching vision of how do we use existing resources that we have in the community more effectively to make sure the right resources are deployed at the right time to affect the people that need help.
0: Now, if we are to respond to the needs of homeless individuals, for example, those needing mental health services, we need to triage that need at 911 and ultimately dispatch the right service for the need. You still see firefighters, paramedics, even police attend calls where mental health or community workers could and should respond. We're behind most Canadian cities and that Bloomberg-Harvard initiative was to pave the way towards that. Credit Bowman for doing it, but he has to take some of the blame for not getting the buy-in from the key players, specifically
1: police. Because ultimately the police are a department of the city of Winnipeg. They're not a separate government. And so non-operational should be more embedded within the, the, the municipal government and better coordinated. I think there's efficiencies that could be had there. Breaking down those silos remains something that there needs to be more work done. And, and and that's something that I have tried my best. The Bloomberg-Harvard was a way not to come in with a sledgehammer and, and really um, shake people down, but actually say, look, we all want the same thing. We all want better results for the people we serve. And, and most have been really receptive, in, including the police service.
0: The exit interview with Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman on 680
1: CJOB. Lessons learned. I think my capacity for empathy has grown. And that's because what I've seen in the community, I've seen, uh, beauty in the community and I've seen absolute, uh, hopelessness. And I like to think as a, as a leader, but also more importantly, just as a husband and father, um, that, uh, I'm more empathetic than I was coming into office. I saw things definitely more, um, more black and white in my youth. I think as we all age, you start seeing the complexities of life and, humanity that exists in in people and so um i've tried to i've tried to learn as much as i can in this office i've tried to be a more effective leader each and every day and uh, i've you know i put my heart and soul into the job and try to leave this place in better shape than i inherited it and so um it's been a overall it's been a it's been a really good experience for our family
0: the need to behave and treat people with dignity and respect especially behind closed
1: doors. I think the scrutiny, the eyes and ears of the community are, are wide open. And so I think when you're in an office like this, uh, there is an expectation from Winnipeggers that you're going to be responsible. You're going to be fair minded. And so, um, you know, I've joked with family and friends that, uh, you know, after tumultuous years uh, here in the mayor's office, Uh, other levels of government where there are, and I'm not just talking about even in Winnipeg or Manitoba, but, but globally, you know, pretty inflammatory political leaders. Uh, I've often joked that I finally found a job where my, my blandness is an asset. (laughs) So if, if people just said, you know what, the guy's competent, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna be honest, he's gonna do his best. Are you gonna agree with every decision on policy? Of course not. How could you? I mean, I don't agree with everything that comes out of council, but that's democracy. And so, um, you know, for me, it's been uh, just, um, if people ha- have been able to go to bed knowing that they have someone that, that is working hard and has, has some integrity in the office, that's great. Your proudest moment? Um, I would say our, our community's response to that McLean's article and the actions that followed. I'd say reconciliation and human rights is perhaps one of the, the proudest achievements. I think the the work on... Infrastructure is important and also just cleaning things up at City Hall. The work in progress
0: that you wish you had accomplished, but the next person in this office needs to
1: pay attention to. I think homelessness is, a, I think, how we play a support role and work collaboratively with stakeholders like the provincial government on matters affecting mental health, addictions, and homelessness, that is key. I think, um, infrastructure investments, I think, I think the work in progress, I mean, the journey. That, the journey of reconciliation is important. The reason why the Canadian Museum for Human Rights Tower is unfinished is because that work is never done. And the same goes for human rights work here at City Hall. It's never going to be done and we're going to keep uh, us, you know, trying to raise the bar. The people in this building or the person that surprised you the most? I would say Councillor John Orlico. Um, we don't come from the same political families. I didn't know him super well. I knew him. You're both swimmers. We are. You do not want to see either of us in a speedo after these years in office. But um, I can say the 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 grace that he demonstrates on a day to day basis. Uh, I wish more Winnipeggers could see that. Um, Hearts of gold. Yeah, and he he's got the one of the sharpest political minds at City Hall, um, and he's not rushing to in front of the camera. So i was really i was surprised by that um i was also just surprised that i i was surprised how, how how uh messed up things were like i mean it, it, you could you couldn't you honestly couldn't script it uh i'll spend more time in later years reflecting but no one could have imagined the mess we inherited you you just the lack of policies the lack of auditing the lack of like even within the office um you know, when I came in, we have, we have civic initiatives. It's it like, was run as a yeah.
0: family business, mayor.
1: It was run very differently. Yes. Yeah. It was run very, very differently, and I hope the next mayor will continue to make improvements and be successful. And I'll be there to support whoever she or he is, Tracy Bowman. Oh, what do you want? <laughs> what can I say about her? She is um, Tracy. Has been. You know, she hasn't. She hasn't complained once once about the camp during campaign or like the number of events that I will bring her to or and vice versa and she's got her own career she has never complained she is the best political partner and spouse anybody could ever hope for in this office um she's you know my my most sound counselor in terms of um you know how I've conducted myself and um you know the sacrifices that that she's made along the way she's she's she and her boys have provided public service and yeah i'm 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 really fortunate to have her as my wife and and political partner in this office are you done with politics yeah i think so yeah i mean you never say never, but I have no plans to run again. I have no plans to come back and run here uh, as, as we're seeing right now. I mean, uh, but, you know, you never say never. But, yeah, I think I'm in the best political office. I, I love a municipal government. And, um, you know, I think eight years in, in elected office is uh, is probably uh, that's all in the cards for me. Um, and I'll look for ways to contribute to, to the community in going forward in, in whatever professional and personal. Back to um, law? I love the law. You know what I like about the law? Facts matter. (laughs) They matter more than politics. It's true. And so I love that about the law. It's my professional designation. I do love the law. So yeah, topic for another day. But uh, yeah, I do love the law. Mayor Brian Bowman, congratulations. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for all that you do too.
0: I'm Richard Kluche. Thank you for listening to Turning Point, the podcast on 680-CJOB.